0: Well, good morning incarnation. Um uh, It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Uh, I was delighted when Amy asked me to guest preachers. I'm actually a member of Restoration, which I know many of you once attended, and which you planted this church. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. As Amy mentioned, my name is David Cadwall. I live here in D.C. in the Columbia Heights neighborhood, uh, and I am the Director of Communications and Christian Engagement at Telos which is an organization which forms communities and peacemakers across lines of difference to help heal seemingly intractable conflicts at home and abroad. And traditionally, most of our work has been uh, in, in Israel palestine and the conflict that's happening there and transforming America's engagement with that part of the world. We've also started in the past few years doing a lot of work looking at our own conflicts here in the U.S., uh, and that's a little bit about what I will be speaking about today. Uh, and at TELOS, I get specifically to do work with Christian communities to help us learn how to heed Christ's call to be peacemakers, to see and incarnate the hope post alone woven throughout the Bible into this very world. As Amy mentioned, we met a few months ago in Matthew 25, um, a gathering for Anglicans invested in a work of justice and ministry, where we discussed what it means to build bridges across divides, and the work of restoration, and of peacemaking, and of kingdom building in this now, but not yet, age, The themes we discussed that week came directly into view, as Amy and I joined a group of about 20 others from the conference in an excursion across the U.S. border into Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, where thousands of migrants from Central America have congregated over the years in order to cross into the U.S. We went on this excursion to better understand the realities of immigration facing our nation and what it would take to build a future where all people, those deemed American and those dreaming to be American, can flourish. During our trip, we visited a shelter housed at a renovated church, which provides safe haven for vulnerable migrants on their journey to the U.S. Many of these migrants have fled violence, chaos, and a future robbed of the dignity of hope. They traversed hundreds of miles across dangerous passages to land right where we stood, awaiting the opportunity to receive asylum in the land of promise. But many of them had waited months or even longer in that shelter, dreaming of a life no longer in constant risk, but having their hope dwindle like the fainting light at the end of a candle. As we sat with some of these migrants, we laughed and broke bread together and celebrated a special evening of graduation for many of the women. And I was truly struck at the power of the moment. The Mexican church had stood in the gap in a moment of crisis to provide for the needs of those around it, transforming itself truly in in a mere 24 hours to be a home for dozens of migrants caught by the dangerous snare of exile all while giving them tangible skills to help them flourish on the other side. To me, we were sitting in the very embodiment of a neighbor love powerful enough to transform lives. and It was really quite beautiful. And yet something about that moment also felt disturbed to me. My group and I had just come for just a few hours and we were all about to leave, to cross the border bridge with barely a moment's delay. And when we did, there was no interrogation, no patting down, no dog searches, not even a scolding at a forgotten passport. We passed our way across that bridge and back into our lives of abundance. Abundant security, abundant provisions, abundant power, and abundant freedom to come and go as we pleased. While those women had to stay behind, their future in the balance. I looked back across that bridge and saw not only the growing distance separating us geographically, but also the distance between our opportunities and the world. I realized that this gap between access and freedom and flourishing I experienced on my side and the insecurity and lack and vulnerability experienced on theirs was completely man-made. It is the result of a breaking of shalom and my community's failure to love its neighbor in its quest for more. What I saw in that moment was a failure of God's people to be peacemakers in this world. You see, peacemaking isn't just about not taking sides and avoiding conflict. It's neither fence sitting nor kumbaya diplomacy. It's the active quest of choosing a side, of fighting for justice in a way that preserves the dignity of all. It opens opportunity for reconciliation. In Christianity, we would call it the reweaving of Shalom. Shalom, which means so much more than just peace in Hebrew, but the ordering of all things in which all people live in right relationship with God, with each other, and with creation in societies of flourishing and justice and peace. A world of Shalom is a world with our neighbors those across the street from us, those worshiping in temples or mosques or no place at all, and definitely those across the borders that we hold so dear to our identity. To actually build this water saloon, we have to hold at our core this most basic commitment of neighbor love. This neighbor love says that my neighbor deserves the very same things that I do. It means, in fact, that our lives and our futures are bound together. It means that for all of us to flourish, I have to know when to say enough. Enough food in the pantry. Enough funding for my kids' school. Enough security at our borders. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, and we are right to seek them. God is blessed in our joy and our protection. But we must learn to see with Jesus' eyes how our grasping for them affects our neighbors. we must, as the people of God, learn there comes a time and love demands us to say, no more, now this is yours. As the people of God, how quickly are we able to say, enough? Like in the moment Amy and I experienced on the border, I see far too often a furious grasping for protection, for vision. And belonging at the expense of our neighbors. Even in just the past few years, we've seen wealth disparities grow wider and wider as Christians in the U.S. give less and less. We've seen dangerous ideological movements arise, often driven by the church, which draw narrow boundaries between what it means to be one of us, what it means to be a dangerous outsider. We've seen vulnerable people across the world press in for rest, for a breath while we build walls and barriers in their way. And we've seen Christians spearhead the movement to erase our fraught history in the name of protecting our kids from negative emotions rather than teaching them to name sin and repent and pursue healing in God's name. But God's word calls us to more. It calls us to neighbor love. And neighbor love demands that we ask, How can I enjoy for myself? what I would deny my neighbor? How can I enjoy abundant prosperity for my family while condemning my neighbor to languish in a migrant shelter on the border? How can I enjoy abundant security for my community while I turn a blind eye to criminalizing of my neighbors? If we are really to love our neighbor, and by so doing become peacemakers and join with God in the reweaving of Shalom, We must know when to say enough. Jesus' words in Luke 12 invite us into this radical act of neighbor love, which is bearing witness to a kingdom not built on the fear and ambition and insecurity of the world, but on the abundance, provision, and presence of God. In this passage in Luke, Jesus has just been speaking to a crowd about bearing witness to the kingdom of God, even when it costs us persecution, and he is interrupted by a question. Teacher, tell my brother to split his inheritance with me. Now, it was an odd question to ask. It was a question that offended social customs of the day that the eldest received the inheritance, and all the privileges included of higher social standing. So, publicly broached a taboo idea in this culture revealed something significant about the asker, a deep anxiety around possessions and status, about being without and it led him to so much ambition and greed that he was willing to publicly embarrass himself for it. Now Jesus flips the question back at him. Who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And while there's a note of correction, I hear more in Jesus' words the question, who gave me the authority you believe that I have? As in, what kind of kingdom do you believe that I am ushering in? One that is concerned with social standing and wealth, ever-present anxiety of fearing being without, or abundant in the riches that come with trust in God, abundant in neighbor love, and abundant in shalom. Jesus then offers a warning to the crowd and to his disciples. Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life, one's protection, one's meaning, one's soul is not found in the abundance of things. Jesus is warning us. Without care, we'll turn to the safety and the things that we need and make them ultimate. We'll forget about our neighbor as we fear that there isn't enough for all of us. And out of that fear, we'll believe we can never have enough of what we need. And in order for us to get it, we have to take it from our neighbor. In my work studying conflict, I've come to learn this belief is at the core of all violence and oppression conflict. Jesus knows this, which is why he shares a story to the crowd in response to his warning. Here's what anxiety around possessions, what not saying enough will do to you. He tells us of a man of extreme wealth who's blessed with an abundant crop, a gift from God. The man thinks to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. So the man makes the decision, to build new storage facilities in order to sell the crop at a later date for a greater price, when supply isn't so abundant. To our ears, this is a shrewd economic decision. It's playing the game of the market, right? But this act would have been seen as, quote, odd in the extreme to listeners, according to one commentator. Why? Because it showed his lack of awareness or concern for the interconnection of his community. The reality that his decisions affect his neighbors. He never considered selling the crops in the year of abundance, a decision that would have lowered prices for the community and benefited everyone, especially the most vulnerable. What appeared to be a shrewd business decision, one that in our culture would have been respected and probably even celebrated, actually comes at the expense of his neighbors' ability to flourish. Notice how the man never consulted, talked to, or thought about another individual through the whole ordeal. His decision wasn't one of smartness. It was one of self-concern only. He failed to love his neighbor. Ultimately, we see that the rich man was not satisfied with enough. He found security in amassing as much as he could. And in this culture, these possessions offered him all the power Comfort and security that we so desperately fight for in ours through our working, our war making, and our wall building. God reveals the folly of such a life, asking of the man, Once you die, will all these things which you withheld from others still be yours? What can these things you withheld do for you once you are no longer alive? I think Jesus is asking us two things in this parable. One, Who is on the other side of your striving for more? And two, what if the antidote to our fears and insecurities is not collecting as much as possible, but being rich toward God? He's asking, what if our security came not from abundant possession, but from, from abundant presence? What if the richness and abundance we long for is only provided by the assuredness of our own standing with God? What if it's only provided in the truth that God sees us as God's beloved? In your life, do you really believe that you are God's beloved? I remember the first time that I really, truly believed this, or the truth actually hit me. I uh, spent a year after my undergrad degree at UNC, um, overseas on missions. And one night I was sitting alone in my apartment on the 17th floor, looking at the stars and the skyscrapers off our balcony. and I was reading this book, The Road Back to You, by Ian Cron, about the Enneagram, all the rage in today's Christian communities. And in the introduction, Franciscan priest, Father Richard War prayed a prayer over the author, that through this study, He would come to see himself with the same pride delight and expectation that god sees him with to be honest my immediate reaction to reading that was honestly to scoff we're all too sinful for god to see us with pride and delight and expectation god wants us to be righteous and then it hit me what if that is really how god sees me What if that really is the gospel? That in spite of my unrighteousness, the God who made all things, who made the vastest of space and the tiniest of atoms, sees me and beams with pride, shakes with delight, and smiles in expectation that all that I will be revealed to be one day. What if God's love for me was really that? And how quickly did I reveal how little I believed in? I sat in my apartment that night, and I wept in grief and in joy, almost at a silent baptism, shaking off all of the fear and the striving for more, and embracing the abundance of the presence my Creator was furiously waiting for me to taste. Who's on the other side of your striving for more? Where do you see fear saying enough? Do you really believe God's love for you and his abundance of provision is really that deep? Whether we have much or little in this world, when we believe that as Romans 8 says, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, our strivings to cease. We begin not to be to be ruled by the, our fear of being without and come to be able to say enough, generously offering what we have for the sake of our neighbors. This is what it means to be a witness to God's kingdom, a shalom bringer, and a peacemaker. Mother Teresa famously said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. There's one one, woman who embodies this concept better than anybody her name is Roni Kadar, and she lives in a place of extreme insecurity on the border between Israel and the Gaza Strip, which is a Palestinian territory. Dotting the neighborhoods that she lives around are bomb shelters, which residents must flee to within 10 seconds of alarms going off at any and all times of day unexpectedly if rockets are launched from Gaza into the area. Yet Roni doesn't despise her neighbors. She sees them as equal human beings, as deserving of the same right to a dignified life that she has. And she chooses to fight for their security, dignity and freedom, knowing that the 15 year Israeli blockade just blocked Gaza off from the rest of the world and created the world's largest open air prison, uninhabitable, according to the UN. Only makes Palestinians more vulnerable. And because of that doesn't make her safe for all. So she advocates with her neighbors for an end to the bombings of Gaza that leave homes and offices destroyed and dozens of innocent men, women, and children homeless or worse. She advocates for an end to the blockade and freedom of movement for Palestinians so they can receive life-saving hospital treatment across the border in Israel or visit their families in the West Bank. And she is often ridiculed, being told that she'd she'd be putting herself in danger with these policies. Gironi knows that the abundance of security these policies grasp for don't actually keep her secure in the long run. She knows that an overabundance of security for her means oppression and vulnerability for another. If she is to flourish, she knows her neighbors must flourish too. So she says, Our security is enough. Now it is time to love our neighbors. Incarnation, where are you grasping for more? Where do you not believe your own belovedness by God and strive for abundance, abundant power, abundant comforts, abundant freedom? Who is on the other side of your striving? How can you say enough and begin offering to your neighbor what you know they need and so as peacemakers bring the kingdom of God? Our Lord said in the famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. God of mercies, steady our hearts as we confront our fears. As we shine your light in the hard to reach places of our hearts to hide our idols, to hide the things we believe we cannot live without. Root out our fears and replace them with your love. Fill our absence with your presence. and you give us the strength and wisdom to know when to say enough. We thank you that your love is free, pure, <coughs> and forever. And we ask for your help to show us this love to all our neighbors, even when it hurts. God of all, we thank you that none of this generosity is ever in vain, but is the seed of your coming, and perfect kingdom, which we pray comes soon. Amen.